Radio. It's Wednesday, 5 p.m., and I'm uh, turning down this Beach House track. Lovely. And this is our tracks. This is our third installment. And this month, we are um, going to be joined by, or we are joined by, Dina Thompson, Zach Ryan Schlegel. Am I saying it right? You are. Um, hi. Hello. Hi. Um, hi, hi. So why don't we start with that question that no one ever likes to answer? Of course. Who are you? What do you do? I told you this was coming. Of course. And I'm going to close this door behind you, so just go. Okay. I'm Dina Thompson. I am a professional dancer. I've been dancing professionally for seven years in Los Angeles, California. And I am part founder of Axiom with Zach, and we created a new syllabus of movement. Um, we created our own dance company, Axiom, and we are looking to make a statement in our work, and that's pretty much about me. Zach? Uh, hi, I'm Zach Ryan Schlegel. I am also a dancer. Uh, I am originally from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I came to California to pursue dance, BFA. Uh, since then, I just have been doing some concert work, commercial work, uh, projects. Been working with um, some dope underground artists here in Los Angeles. Traveled around and, of course, met Dina and created Axiom, our own project. Cool. Now, here's a question I've, I've had on my mind for a, a minute, is knowing that both of you um, work as dancers in, in the entertainment world, right? In music videos, movies, all that kind of stuff. When was that, um, what made you decide, hey, we're going to do something on our own for ourselves? Was, it, was there an inspirational moment there, or was it just a, something that we're just going to do this thing? Or what happened? There, yes. Dina? Yeah. Can we I talk think, about that I phone think, call? <laughs> I, think, I think I'll start this. I was backstage in the dressing room of the 2011 Super Bowl halftime show when I was dancing for Madonna. Whoa. And I knew that I wanted to not be in the background anymore, per se. I think that dancers are artists and they need to be in the light. And so I had this epiphany when I was in the dressing room, and I called Zach, and I told him that it's time, I'm ready, we need to start when I get back. And this was before her performance, mind you. She also, <laughs> she also said prior to that that she may not go on stage because she was that frustrated. <laughs> And I think that brings up a good point about the dual frustration because she called me at a perfect point where I was equally frustrated with dance. Um, because I think between her and I, there's a duality of uh, commercial experience and concert experience. I, on the other hand, I've been working with a dance company. I've been you know, in that world, that trained concert dance world. And I also had the frustration of feeling that the worlds were too separate and that one was too, like with commercial dance, it was too, it's, it's too much degrading to the dancer. It's like, you're the background. You're, you know, you're here to support the artist. In the concert world, it's 
oftentimes it doesn't reach its audience and it tries this, it gets too distant from the truth. And so Dina kind of called me right at the perfect time because I was like, let's create this. Let's do something about this problem in the dividing, in the divide of the two dance worlds. And I think that we had, we both had really big voices in each of them and we said, let's do this. Let's create our own truth. Um, there's so much talent in Los Angeles, so much is going on here, but we found that there might have been just a void in the dance world. Hmm. And it was time to fill that void. Awesome. And now this took its shape with the Axiom show, the first one, right? That's, this, was the, this is the baby of yes. this idea, right? Yes. And now I know you've done a second run of the show, mm-hmm. right? And how could people who are listening, how could they find out more information about Axiom? Where can they get some info? Where do they go? Well, right now we have a Facebook page. We're actually working on um, getting a website together that should be coming up in the next month or so. Um, but it's facebook.com slash axiom with three I's, A-X-I-I-O-M. Um, right now, that's pretty much our, found, our how we're getting to our audience. Um, awesome. But a website soon. Great. And now um, I was able to see the first show. Unfortunately, I didn't make the second show. I'm ashamed. Um, <laughs> I know, bummer. But uh, if I, from what I remember from the first show, and this is again, you know, from my perspective, um, what I came away with was it was definitely there was a lot of heavy heaviness in the um, maybe in the I would even say in, in the way you guys built, kind of built the whole show around. There was a lot of powerful movements. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of like agony and like pain in the in the dance yes. and in the faces of the people dancing. And there was even like a scene that I I would maybe consider like kind of like a rape scene or something like that. Yes. I mean, I don't know how to describe it with the best words, but I would say something like that. Um, with, with that as your first project, that thing that you, you've come out of, um, how are you feeling about it now? How are you feeling about the way it's maybe, maybe you executed your ideas? How are you feeling about the way maybe people have taken it in? Um, and maybe can you talk a little bit about that heaviness, maybe where that kind of might come from or if that has an inspirational point or something? Well, there's a lot to say about it, but I think that the heaviness is life. I think that people are so focused on being happy and bubbly all the time that they don't actually face the darkness. Uh, Not a lot of people can face the darkness because they don't know how to handle it, but if you actually look at the darkness, all, all the things that are happening around, it might be one of the most beautiful things that a human can experience because with the darkness is the only reason that you see the light. You have to have darkness to know that things will be better and you see the contrast. You have to accept the darkness just as you accept the lightness. And so we built that with Axiom because it's something that every human can relate to. They don't see the dancers on stage being dancers, they see them being human. And that's how you connect the audience with the dancers because there can't be a separation because they need to feel connected with you. And to show them that you're human in pedestrian movements and to show that you do go through the same things, it connects them and and builds them together to understand a feeling or a setting or an emotion or a story. Absolutely, and we, we just found that with a lot of dance work, it is either completely removed from the creator. You know, it's very external. It's very, uh, 
especially in the Hollywood industry and in the world that we live in, it's very distant from the creator and it's, it's for the audience and it's for, and we feel like we had just such a deeply personal connection to the subject matter. Um, and that was one of the things that so many people walked away with is they felt like they said they were watching life unfold in front of them. A huge, uh, I don't know, I guess downside of watching concert dance is that so many people feel that it's very distant and unrelatable and they don't, they can't see where it comes from. And, and um, we really wanted for it to create a piece that, that really struck people, struck people to the core, like shook them to the foundations of, of their life and, and really made them question and change. And, and um, it's not that we were trying to create a political work or we were trying to create a work that would, you know, make a big statement. We just wanted to create a truth, a truth, which mm -hmm. is where, you know, the name comes from, Axiom. Axiom. And I think one thing that I came away from the show was I, I left the show feeling ill, feeling sick, you know, but also feeling like excited for what I'd seen. But definitely it was this thing where I was like, that was crazy, you know? And then going home and thinking about it and, you know, speaking to some of the friends that we have and, and people who are dancers and artists, musicians, I think a lot of people came at it with, there was this intensity to the show. Um, one thing actually that for me was probably the, maybe the coolest thing I've seen is how you were using this table as a kind of sculptural element, but it also became a stage for dance, but then it also kind of became like a tool for the storytelling. How did that come about, this idea of sculptural element being more than just you know, something in the background? How did, how did that come about? What was that all about? Well, it takes place with our setting. We were originally, when we were thinking of Axiom, we were inspired by this camp called Binh Vai in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And long story short about Binh Vai is that all these refugees were sent to these houses. And there were mass amounts of peoples in these houses, hundreds, um, whether you kids, adults, what have you. And so our story took place in a house. Mm. And so we brought in a prop to specify that we were in a specific place. The thing that we wanted to do though with the prop is, you know, a lot of people want to mask movement on stage with props and backdrops and such things like that. But there's something very beautiful about seeing the identity of that prop and why is it important to the people in that atmosphere. So with the transition from the prop to be a ramp, we wanted the dancers to sculpturally do that if, as if it were a painting that was moving slowly because the audience should see that relationship that they have with that thing. Because if something's gonna be on stage, there needs to be a reason. There needs to be, the audience needs to know what it is, why it's there, how it feels, how it looks, how it, they need to see that. So that's kind of what we try to do with our table prop. And that's cool. I didn't ever kind of make a connection between this and like a historical, you were thinking about a historical place. Mm -hmm. Was most of the project kind of inspired by that, that historical thing that, that you're talking about? Well, that was the beginning. That was the, uh, the seed, if you will. But from there, it's kind of the way Dina and I work is that we work with a very strong idea and then it becomes dismantled mm -hmm. as we pass it to the dancers. We give them the story, the structure, the narrative, but then we don't ask them, we don't demand anything from them, but we ask for them to give us a response to it. So that is where it started. And then it became about the dancers' identities and, and how they felt about the relationships that were unfolding within this piece. And it's funny because it 
started with the Ben Vi story, but it began to take a life of its own and it began to not be ours really. We even had a moment where we surrendered and we said, you know, you guys, this is your story now. So don't think of what it is that we're trying to make you do. Just be exactly, be the story yourselves. And so that's really, I feel like how we, how it became its own deeply personal and really um, real experience. It wasn't, they weren't acting. And in fact, a lot of the dancers said that it was really um, alarming sometimes that on stage they felt very real in the moment, you know, and we deal with a lot of heavy matter. And so a lot of those moments overcame them. And it was really wonderful to see how that, how that kind of happened. Yeah. I mean, it totally, I think it was, it was, I don't know, it was there. We were feeling it. Everyone who was there was definitely taking that in. That's cool. The historical concept is something that I, I didn't catch on. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> but I'm excited about that. Um, with that said, what, um, what kind of music have you brought for us today? Well, this is the perfect uh, piece to start with. We kind of brought um, some of the soundtrack of our show. Cool. Because we are deeply driven by the music. And so I think that we should start off with the opening piece to our show. It's called The Dead Flag Blues by Godspeed You Black Emperor. Awesome band. Awesome. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, let it rip and we'll make sure it's at the right volume and we'll go. Should be going. Okay, people. K-Chung Radio, please go ahead and give us a call on the K-Chung hotline, 612-K-Chung1 or on the K-Chung chat wing. on fire and there's no driver at the wheel and the sewers are all muddied with a thousand lonely suicides and a dark wind blows the government is corrupt and we're on so many drugs with the radio on and the curtains drawn trapped in the belly of this horrible machine and the machine is bleeding to death the sun has fallen down and the billboards are all leering and the flags are all dead at the top of their poles it went like this Buildings toppled in on themselves. Mothers clutching babies picked through the rubble and pulled out their hair. The skyline was beautiful on fire. stretching upwards, everything washed in a thin orange haze. I said, kiss me, you're beautiful. These are truly the last days.
You grabbed my hand, and we fell into it, like a daydream or a fever.
All right, people, we're back with Dina and Zach. Um, and that was some Godspeed You Black Emperor, which I haven't heard in a while, except for at your show. Yes. Um, an awesome group. And I think you also used some songs from the other band that they were part of, right? Yeah, Silver Mount Zion. Silver Mount Zion, which is definitely some heavy, I don't know, foreboding. Yes. Kind of creepy. Yes. Right? <laughs> Super. Super. Yeah, we were deeply inspired by that band, Godspeed You Black Emperor and Silver Mount Zion. Something about it resonated with both of us. Yeah. Fact, now, the song that we just listened to was the kind of the launch point for our whole piece because we listened to that uh, opening, I don't know, kind of those lyrics in the beginning, and it was like, that is the atmosphere of Axiom. That was it. So we kind of, that was really the launching point. Awesome. Now, um, a, a question regarding music is, when you're when you're making a performance and you're and you're using recorded music, um, is there is there a point where you maybe have to I don't know disassociate yourself from the music and its context when you're creating your own new context? Did you have to remix any of the songs? Did you have to do anything like to change them at all? Do, am I making sense? Like, is yeah. there because because music carries so much history with it and like you know mm -hmm. who recorded it when it was yes. out when it was popular blah 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 how do you maybe deal with that what what did you guys do in the process what what other songs did you use well we music is a huge huge part of axiom and dance in the greater context but uh, we like to start from nothing no music an idea sometimes we'll we'll just get into the studio and we'll create the movement that we feel, and then we try to match it to the music. And then in other cases, as for the first piece, you know, the song you just heard, Dead Flag Blues, we heard that and we said that opens the show and that's the tone and that's the vibe and that is gonna anchor the idea. And so sometimes the music dictates what, how we create the work and how we choreograph, but in other times the music is secondary. Sometimes it's even hard because we'll create pieces and we'll say, how are we gonna find music that can execute this idea. Which is what, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be difficult. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that there were multiple times in our creative process where we loved a song. We loved a song and we're like, okay, we're using this song to this, this movement. And the dancer, we would turn on the music and then the dancers would go and it just didn't fit. The music just with what they were doing, because the music will change the way a dancer moves. It will change how a dancer feels. So when that happens, and then you see the dancers making something that you didn't originally want to see, the emotion isn't being seen, you have to try a different song. Even though you loved that song, but the dancers are feeling the vibrations a little bit differently. So sometimes, a lot of times, we would have to take away songs that we liked and put on something until we found that the dancers could feel the emotion, right? Yeah, because it's a sensitive relationship. I mean, sometimes you're getting exactly what you want from a dancer and they're doing it so perfectly and the moment they hear the music, they want to go somewhere else with it or they want to hit you know, certain rhythms and beats and, and they want to like go to a certain place and so it was, it's a really tough tango between trying to get something out of them and using music to add or sometimes using music to drive it home. You know, cause like in, we had a duet in the uh, show where we created the whole duet without music. It was all, I mean, it was very uh, pantomime based and it was very, it was about children playing and we didn't give them any music at all. And we gave footage of that dance to uh, 
a musician of ours, his name is Robbie Williamson, and we said, you create the song, you create it. Based on what you see, make something. And then he came back with a score. So awesome. We kind of went all over the place with it. And here's a question that I've been, recently I've been um, kind of obsessing over Nijinsky, I've read his biography and then read his autobiography. And just kind of thinking about, you know, I, I know very little about dance history, but thinking about the context of ballet and live music being played at the same time as dancers are going on. And that's something I, I wish I see, I'd see more at a dance performance. Um, now, I'm not saying you have to do that. <laughs> I'm just saying. We get the hint, Oscar. Yeah, have, have, you, have, you ever, have you ever thought about that, about having a live score going on? It's extremely hard to come by musicians that will be able to come in with you in the rehearsal process and create with you. But it is, I mean, that's a dancer's dream, really. If you could have live music always, that is just absolutely beautiful. But maybe it's an idea. Yeah, and I think it's hard um, because it takes just like, it takes a very special musician to, you know, because everyone's very pride, proud with their art, you know. So a dancer always wants to dance whether it's to the music or not. A musician wants to play his guitar how he wants to play the guitar, but the thing is is that when you have a musician coming in to score dance live, they have to follow the dancer. Have to. So it's, it's hard for some musicians. So you, so you really have to find a collaboration. You, know, you have to find a balance. And so that would be amazing, though, to have a live performance, but it's, it's very hard to find that balance. Hmm. Yeah, if we could get a 40-piece jam band like Silver Mount Zion. If right. any of you out there know a 40-piece jam band. Um, I mean, I would say right now I, I, I could probably arrange a maybe eight-piece noise band. Just saying. Yes, that works Just too. throw it Oscar, out there. Because we'll I, know, I know a couple people. Tamala Poljak, if you're listening, Alan Bliley. I think they'd be down. Travis. Um, but anyway, um, we do have a question right now in the chat wing, so we're going to go with this. It says, from guest 693, congrats to Z&D, first and foremost, in, on their debut, Axiom. It was incredible. A visceral roller coaster. Question. How do they feel about the disparate dance scene in LA, academic, commercial, theatrical, in between? And as a young company, how do they seek to engage in it with their craft? Well, I'll start. What do I, the first kind of part was what do I, how do I feel how about? How do they feel about the disparate dancing in LA, academic, commercial, theatrical, in between, and as a young company, how do they seek to engage in it with their craft? It's a tough one. Yeah, well I think how I feel about the dance world right now, I am super excited and proud to be where we are at because it's a, complete struggle every day for dancers to be appreciated. And I think that we are continuing to build our legacy. We used to dance for kings and queens back in the day, and somehow the world forgot how beautiful we are as artists. And we are still striving to continue to get them to see that we are pure art. You know, um, we only have one chance to make an audience see the story while other people might have an eraser when they're drawing, or they might have edits, or they might have voice synthesizers and auto-tunes. We have one performance. Yeah, one body. And so it's getting the world to see that, and I think we're doing a really good job. Um, that's how I feel about the dance world now. How are we going to use Axiom to get into there? I think it's 
creating a realization to where we are just as important as a singer, a band member, a, a choir, an opera singer. We are just as important as every other artist. And I feel like Axiom will bring that because of our originality, because we have a passion for bringing the world to understand us, to feel us. I kind of feel like I'm going on a tangent and now I don't. Well, in the, the disparity that you were talking about, we actually, that's a huge forte in Axiom is that we seek to integrate. We, I mean, we are primarily physical theater or dance theater, if you will, but um, we have dancers, we have actors. I mean, in our last show, we had an actor who doesn't dance and he was one of the most powerful roles in our show. We had a ballet dancer, prima ballerina. We had, we have commercial dancers who have worked with pop stars. We just, we, we really want, that's a really good question because inter integration is our point. We don't want dance to be inaccessible. We don't want dance to be something that an audience has to not understand. We're trying to engage people and, and make them see that it is everything. Dance is the same thing that music is, the same thing that a painting is, you know, like so much of our work in, in and captures all of that, and that, you know, that's kind of our point of axiom. Yeah, that's awesome. I especially like the 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 fact that you're bringing up that dance has such a, I mean, it has an ancient history, obviously. Because one thing I was thinking about earlier today was just, uh, you know, dance. I think you could argue is probably, along with maybe like cave drawings or something, is probably the most ancient type of expression. Obviously, there's the voice and there's singing. There's playing drums because drums are easy to play. You just need a stick and a piece of wood and you're good. Um, but dance is one of those things. You don't need anything, right? You just need the body. So I like this idea of you kind of bringing in this, this notion of trying to get to that true art form, trying to express that idea. The idea of no eraser is really serious, right? Because if you have a dance show and, you've, and you mess it up, that's all everybody sees. It's over. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a it's a def it's a it's a tough one. Yeah. Because yeah. even behind, even with music as a musician, I mean, like I can hide behind some stuff if I make a mistake, mm -hmm. or I can play it off. And I mean, as dancers, I'm sure you can play yes. off play off the thing. But there's something about that expressive um, truth, which actually brings me to this quote that I wanted to share with you. Now, this is a quote from Nijinsky, obviously translated into English, but the quote goes: "I wanted to express beauty, purity, love above all." love in its divine sense. Art, love, nature are only an infinitesimal part of God's spirit. I wanted to recapture it and to give it to the public so that they may know he is omnipresent. If they felt it, then I was reflecting him. Now, obviously, the God thing, you know, it's something else, but it Absolutely. And Nijinsky was schizophrenic, and I know that when he wrote that, was that from his autobiography? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he wrote that, he was trying to seek God because I know he had many issues. But I think what he is saying there with um, trying to capture that, that is one of the truly magical things about dance is that you are a human body. And so you're watching, our audience members are watching a human body work in a very abstract way. But they do, they can feel it. They can see the writhing and the movement and they, they're able to see that recaptured if that makes any sense. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, we're one of the only art forms that works with the human body and its movement. And it's something that we live with every day. You know, like a painter hangs up a canvas and they put down a paintbrush. And as dancers, we can't 
put down our bodies. And as humans, we can't ever put down our bodies. So it's a very personal thing for audience members. And I think what Nijinsky is getting at is that if he can reflect what, if he can show all of life in movement, and if audience members can see that, then he's doing his job because he's using the human body to its best ability. Which is, which is what you guys have been talking about today, is really getting to that, that thing about the dark side of life, showing us that, yes. giving us that with the movement. Yes, it's a mirror, really. It's a reflection. So I'm not really trying to show you that what you don't know. We're just trying to show you what you already, like what you, what you know already and what you have experienced, but maybe you haven't realized. That is some seriousness right there. And um, with that, we should hear what's, what's another track we got for us here. Well, uh, let's listen to. Let's listen to Robbie's. Uh, let's listen to. Actually, I was talking earlier about that duet that we gave our uh, comp composer to score. And this is what he came up with when he sent us back his score. That's untitled, but it's by Robbie Williamson. Awesome. And you're listening to K Chung Radio, everybody. Keep asking us questions.
everybody. Here on Art Tracks Radio, your monthly, I don't know, art chat thing, situation, moment, moment. shindig. shindig. Um, and we're here with Dina Thompson, Zach Ryan Schlegel of the Axiom group. Axiom. We don't want to put a group, just Axiom. Just Axiom. Just Axiom. Um, so we've been talking a lot about uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, we still would love to hear any questions from anyone out there on the K Chung chat wing. Find us on kchungradio.org. Um, couple questions I would have for you that we haven't talked about yet is um, what's next? What's coming up in the future? Do we have a plan or we still figure things out? What's up? Okay. So we have a lot that we are currently working on. As far as overall general goals for Axiom, we um, would like to put on another show in the spring. Uh, so we will be grant writing, figuring that all out. Um, also putting together for a website, you know, we want to go do um, some dance festivals, things of that sort, get recognized as choreographers. Um, but the next upcoming thing is we will be doing a dance series with Dutch Rall. He's an three-time Emmy Award-winning director slash cinematographer. Um, he's doing a dance series called um, Trip the Lighting Fantastic, or Tripping the Light Fantastic. And so we are going to be the first group that he works with for this dance series. And that will be shooting in September. And then from there, we'll be going to do, what does he want to do? We had um, that conversation. Bring, I mean, festivals. Festivals, cool. be working on festivals. Dutch Rall is um, really mysterious, um, <laughs> really intelligent. So we're excited about the collaboration just because we're, we're going to work really well together. And this is something that will premiere as a film or as a show or? It's premiering as a short film. Short film. Yeah. Um, we'll probably be from premiering at, I'm not which, sure which festival he was talking about first, but um, we're shooting it uh, the end of August here in the next couple weeks, and then we'll be taking it, you know, the festival route. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And so then that's the kind of thing where you guys will go to the, to the shows and be there, but you won't be performing, or you, no, you'll just be awesome, VIPs, Yeah. and this film will be playing. Yeah. And then obviously, once it's done with the festival route, we'll be... Uh, premiering it online and showing it to the whole world. Awesome. Now, one thing that we, um, I don't think we've talked about yet is in terms of maybe um, other dancers, choreographers, and artists in general, um, maybe we can start from people that are beyond our time period, maybe people that are a little older than us. Um, are there any big inspirations that have been guiding your work? Pina Bausch is huge for us. Um, I think that as you train as a dancer in throughout your whole life, you inherently take a lot of traits from a lot of choreographers that you experience. Uh, both of us went through uh, studying in college dance, so we've pretty much studied every movement style, every choreographer that we can. But um, we talk a lot about Pina Bausch, uh, Tina and I. She was she was brilliant. She kind of she kind of worked in the same way that we did, where you weren't quite sure whether or not it was dance move dance theater, if it was performance theater, was it dance, was it, you know, it was just real life. So she's a huge influence of ours. Um, and I don't know, we, we, uh, 
we kind of work with a lot of different inspirations. Like I went to uh, Sydney and trained with Sydney Dance Company and I just got back from Northwest. So I'm always pulling from all of my experiences of working with all the choreographers that I do. We, uh, filmmakers. I like um, Batsheva. I'm really inspired by, we're inspired by Batsheva. But something that I do want to say about Pina Bausch is no, we weren't inspired by Pina Bausch when her documentary came out. We actually were inspired by her and knew about her before the documentary came out. Before she was sensationalized. Yeah, so we actually know about her work and didn't just go see the documentary and we're like, oh my God, Pina Bausch is so amazing. Um, obviously, Martha Graham will always be an inspiration for every dancer just because she was something powerful and she did not care about it. Um, Are we inspired by That's a hard question. Yeah, I mean, it's a really tough one. How about maybe is there, just again, because of the sculptural element to your show, which I think is actually something very special, um, how about in terms of other artists, like visual artists, or other? I mean, surrealism. I'm actually personally really inspired by modernist writers, in particular Virginia Woolf. A whole piece that we did with a trio in the show uh, that we called The Restless Searchers was inspired by a, um, a work by Virginia in which she talked about the daily ruse of restlessly searching for something that you're not quite sure of. Uh, so I, I gain a lot of my inspiration from writers. Um, I think that I studied writing, and in fact, in school I studied literature. So uh, creating a narrative on the stage, I often look to some of the writers that I'm really inspired by. Um, awesome. As well. Um, now here's the thing, just as I'm just gonna say this, I, the Pina Bausch film, I didn't love it. Oh. <laughs> Dare I say, I didn't even like it. And I think she's cool, and I respect her work, mm-hmm. but that film, I kind of didn't move me. What did you not like about it? I mean, I don't know, this is a tough one for me to explain, right. but I felt like there was, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of stage, a lot of light, a lot of moving, a lot of camera, a lot of this and a lot of that, that I almost lost the work. I kept thinking like, oh, you know, this is rad, but maybe can we just actually like zoom in for a sec totally. and just let me see, you know, the person on the yeah. sand or whatever that was. Yeah. But obviously very important. Um, how about the work of Merce Cunningham? Do you guys like that at all? Um, I admire uh, Merce Cunningham and his work. I've done some of Cunningham's work. I personally don't feel very connected to it. He does a lot of um, dance by chance. He works with, uh, I, would, I don't want to say dance as, as the opposite of meaning, but he works in a lot of chance um, situations. Like he uses pennies and dice, and he really likes to think of the chance element with dance. Right. And, um, as an artist who really likes to think about the structure and, and about the narrative arc and how it's going to reach, I don't personally connect with him as an influence necessarily. It's funny because when we got reviewed, who, who was the one that reviewed us? Well, anyways, they had compared us to Merce Cunningham saying that we, our work reminded them of him. So we might not be connected, but as far as dance goes, we are all connected syllabus-wise because we right. all have the same, one same thing in common is that we all have bodies. There were humans involved. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think maybe the thing that makes me think of 
him, especially with your work. And again, I'm not trying to make a comparison because you guys are doing your own thing. But just is, is the sculpture element. Yeah. I think that's a. It's kind of a big deal. Yes. Because it wasn't only oh yeah we're using a stage that's cool, or oh yeah we're doing this thing with this piece of the stage. Mm -hmm. You were actually making it speak. You yeah. were you were turning an object mm -hmm. into something that not only transformed but then had a lot of meaning. Yes. You know I think there's something Certainly. something about that. Obviously I think. What you're saying is, is you know, you're spot on. It's like you, you definitely were working with a more defined narrative, I think. Yes. Than than his work. Yeah. But I mean, that's why that's why I was thinking about that. Yeah, I would maybe say Alwyn Nikolai would be a closer reference. I'm not mm. sure if you're familiar with him, but Alwyn Nikolai definitely used set pieces really brilliantly. Um, like there's this one piece where he used a giant cloth, and he cut a bunch of different uh, holes out of the cloth, and it connected all of the dancers into this one piece. Mm. But it, so it was like looked like a one costume, but it was uh, different heads popping out of it. So I would say maybe Alan Nikolai is a closer. And how do we how do we spell that for myself and people out there? A Alan A L W I N Nikolai N I K O L A I S. Alduin Nikolai. Very cool. Yes. Now you had brought some quotes here for to share with us. Are there any juicy ones you want to let us have in these last few minutes? Well, I'm going to read one that Zach wrote when we were promoting um, our first run of the show. And our whole object was to make the audience question, not the dance, but themselves. And so Zach had written this, and it's by oh. Milan Kundera. And it says, a question is like a knife that slices through the stage backdrop and gives us a look at what lies behind it. Can we have that one again so we can meditate on that? A question is like a knife that slices through the stage backdrop and gives us a look at what lies behind it. Oh. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I was reading uh, Milan Kundera's uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being while we were creating Axiom, and I was deeply, he's an existentialist fictional writer, and I was deeply, deeply interest, influenced by a lot of the things he said, because his uh, novels kind of work as philosophical statements more than narratives. Um, and so when I read that, and we had talked about questioning, and like we didn't want to necessarily say something to our audience, we wanted to ask them something, or rather make them ask something of themselves. So when I read that, I was like, Dina, I think that Milan Kundera hit the nail on the head with this one. <laughs> yeah, that, and I feel like, again, going over everything you've talked about today, the idea of the things you're doing on the stage, reflecting something that we know as the viewer, connecting the viewer to the dancer, this idea of this, I don't know, this inspirational thing happening is really that thing, that knife cutting through everything, right? We're digging yes. in deeper. Um, and we have a question here from Guest 716. Are costumes important to their performances at all, or do they try to keep a minimal approach so as not to distract from their movements? I would say that depends. For Axiom, they were important, but we didn't want them to distract. We actually gave a free reign to our uh, costume designer because we said we don't want period piece costumes, but we don't want dance costumes like sportswear looking things. Um, we wanted them to look human. If not anything, we try to make our dancers look like humans, but not to look ordinary, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It depends, I guess. It depends on the piece, whether or not the costume is a huge, crucial element or not. 
cool question. And um, we're almost out of time here, so we probably got time for one more song. One question I'll I'll ask, which is maybe a little crazy to ask right at the end, but um, <laughs> how how are you going to challenge if you need to challenge, or how are you going to speak to? Because you've been talking about developing this this syllabus of dance, um, how are you going to maybe? challenge or discuss what already exists in terms of dance movement? Are you trying to do that? Is there something in the work that's heading in that direction? I would personally say we're trying to make the movement not matter, if that makes any sense. We're trying to create movement that makes the movement not matter, if that makes any sense to you. Um, dance sometimes, especially right now, is becoming such a athletic event, mm -hmm. thanks to the sensationalized television shows. You know, dance is everywhere. It's in commercials. It's on TV. I mean, there's so many shows that are based in dance that a lot of people who don't know dance think that it is a athletic event. It's, you know, it's like an athlete who's performing it. So I think what we are trying to do is, is return to the notion that it isn't about the leg. It isn't about the turn. It isn't about the leap. It's about what the leap and the leg and the turn are saying about the performance rather than what they themselves are doing. Hmm. Yeah, I also think that it's stripping the dancer or stripping the technique from the dancer and making them pedestrian. Because you can do tricks all day and that's great, but if you can't tell a story, then you failed. So we need to, we want our dancers to tell a story. It doesn't matter how high your leg is, it doesn't matter how fast you move, but if it makes sense in your head, then the audience can understand. So I think we're trying to strip away the, ooh, ah, oh my gosh, they did 11 turns. Oh my God, she's so amazing. Oh my God, but that doesn't tell a story. Who are you? You're just some girl that turns a lot. We're trying to get our dancers to move with all of life within it, not just with that glamorous, technical element to it. That's, that, I'll take that. All right. I'll take that, and we have another little question for you here. Uh, they mentioned, quote, real life on stage earlier. How does work like Yvonne Rayner's inform or not this idea in their work? So it, uh, the question's basically saying, you're meant, when you're discussing real life and, and the stage, does that relate to, or does that not relate to the work of Yvonne Rayner? So Yvonne Rayner, um, I, I know, yeah, Yvonne Rayner's a good person for all of us to research, because yes. I don't know enough, but Yvonne Rayner, I would say, I think kind of falls into that space between dance and performance art. Yeah. And it's kind of in, as is referenced in both, maybe more in the performance art world, I think, mm. is some, more of where I know her name. Mm. Um, so that's a good one for us to do some research on. Yeah, we've got our homework. Thank you. Thank you, guest 693. Six, guest 693 is on point right here. They're letting us yeah, know we'll what's up. We'll definitely look that up. I'm, I'm excited because I'm a little embarrassed that I have no idea <laughs> who that is. But I, I will do that, and I would love to answer it somewhere where you can see it. But. Awesome. Well, everybody, it's, um, it's our time now. We're going to play one more track. We didn't get too much music because we have such a verbose and, I don't know. Opinionated. Opinionated, but also you guys just, you can, you can do it. You really can answer the questions. Um, so let's play one, one last song. And everyone out there, you can find Axiom on Facebook, facebook.com slash A-X-I-I-I-O-M. 
M. Triple I O M. And yeah, go see their stuff. And here we got one last song. Thank you for listening to K-Chung Radio.